You might have noticed that some of the images around us in the sanctuary have been veiled, and that is to signify Christ going into hiding, which he did before Palm Sunday. He recluded from the people just to be with his disciples before coming back and processing into Jerusalem. So we covered the images for that. But I found myself, I usually, during the Mass, I'm always trying to look at Jesus, look at one of the images to keep my attention. It was very difficult. It was like, that's life. What would we do in our life if we did not have the face of Christ to look at over and over again, almost holding us like an anchor in the midst of the distractions and the sufferings that we have in this world? Today's gospel, it's all about the response to sin. God's response to our sins, the devil's response to our sins, and also our own response to our sins. The devil really plays a place in the Pharisees. He always stands on the outside accusing us. The devil is the great accuser with absolutely no mercy or compassion to make of us an example to God of his fallenness, of his creation. Jesus Christ is the one who finds us in the very place of our sins. That's why he is the mercy of God. And mis- mercy comes from the word misericordia. means misery and core, meaning heart, and dar, dia, meaning to give. So Jesus is the heart of God given to us in the very place of our miseries, the very place of our sufferings. And the lastly, it's the woman represents every one of us. Whose voice do we listen to and do we follow in the place of our suffering? Because we all know the second we fall in any sin, we always have this nagging voice, this accusation that comes at us, telling us that we'll never be good enough. There's no reason to repent. And yet we have another voice coming to us, calling us to turn away from our sin and follow our Lord. It reminded me of a story of a young man whose recent beatification is on the way to be called a saint. His name was Jacques Fesch, and he lived a very troubled life. He grew up in a semi-Catholic family. His father was an atheist, and his mother was kind of a lukewarm Catholic. They're very rich, and because everything had been given to him in his life, he grew up quite entitled and prideful. And after his father abandoned his family to go you know, start another family and do his own thing with his business, He became extremely selfish and disillusioned in his life. And at 17 years old, he publicly left the faith and proclaimed himself an atheist. And a short time later, when he was in college, he was actually um, expelled because of so much misconduct while he was there. So at the age of 21, been dating a a girl for a couple years, she became pregnant. And in that time, this was in the 50s and the 40s, and so it was... Definitely a public shame for her to be pregnant outside of marriage. So he married her, but he refused to do it in the Catholic Church. He refused to enter into a Catholic Church at that time of his life. And then after a few years of that, he got a disillusion with marriage. Because remember, once you lose God in your life, you have no reason to follow a morality. And marriage is a sacrifice. Marriage is an offering of myself. So when I don't have God, what I'm really going to look for is how can I get as much in life before I die? And so he ended up abandoning his girlfriend with their child, impregnated another woman, and then found himself caught between the two. So he had a great idea. Why not just escape, run away and start a new life 
on the other side of the world. So he wanted to buy a boat and sail across the Pacific Ocean and just start something new, new hope. But his parents refused to give him money for it. So he had the great idea in his desperation to go rob um, a moneylender. And so one night, it was February 24th, 1954, he went to this money changer and he broke into his shop at night not knowing that he was actually there. And so right when he broke in, the money changer pressed the alarm and he ended up beating him unconscious with his pistol that he had, grabbed as much money as he could, and then ran out of the the store. The police officer was coming right around the corner at that time who, after about three blocks of a chase, cornered him in an alley. And he had lost his glasses at the moment, so he couldn't see clearly. And he just started shooting recklessly wherever he could. And he ended up shooting uh, this police officer and killing him. Officer Jean Vernier, an officer with a wife and children of his own. So there's a great public outcry for his execution after this, for murdering a police officer. And he was condemned to death three years later, in 1957, April 6th. And at first, he was totally indifferent to his plight. He just saw himself as a victim of having a bad lot in life, totally unrepentant, refused to see a priest or talk to anybody. But it was while he was in prison, awaiting an execution, the whole world pointing their fingers at him, crying out, at least in France, for his execution. It was in that very place that he encountered Jesus Christ. And he said it was a thunderbolt of mercy. In one moment, he felt Christ coming to him by his grace in his prison cell and inviting him into conversion. And we have some of his letters that he had wrote and written to his family and put in his diary. But I want to read to you part of what he wrote shortly before he was put to death. And imagine these same words coming from this adulterous woman who was just found in her own sins. It says, I am begging the Lord to give me a new heart of flesh and heal me of this heart of stone. And from the depths of the abyss, I cry out to him to hear my voice. With all my strength, I thank him for having had pity on my distress and for responding to my crimes only with his love. I admit that I am still a very tepid Catholic, repentant, certainly, and full of goodwill, but without much willpower. I so need his love, his strength, and his compassion. I often fall back into a kind of apathy and resignation, and I am unhappy because I sense at these times that all joy has gone and that there is nothing left for me in this life but despair. I beg him to live in me always, to help and enlighten me, and to give me the strength to accept the sufferings his mercy has willed to send me for the sake of my birth into the light. He sees his sufferings in this prison cell as the grace from God to give him birth into eternal life. To me, the wretched one who helped sink the very nails into his hands. But with Christ there is mercy, and because of his law I have hoped in him. I tell you, without God, the cell I live in would be such a pit of darkness and total despair. The final words he wrote before his death were, in five hours, I will see Jesus. And it was interesting enough, he was put to death on the very feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux, 
a Carmelite nun who spent her life praying especially for souls lost in mortal sin and for prisoners. And just in 1993, his cause for the beatification was opened. And this was something that was very controversial because many in that flick in that time, imagine, imagine if it was your brother who was a good Catholic police officer with wife and children who was put to death by a criminal and now 40 years later, we're talking about making him a saint. And then I thought about it after mass. But what if it was my brother who killed him? What if it was my brother who did the crime? Would there be nothing that would make me more happy than his conversion and even to be proclaimed a saint in the church? But I think this is such a good example of the fact that God does not love what is beautiful in us. He makes beautiful what he loves. Jesus Christ comes to find us in the very place of our sinfulness, the place of our brokenness, the place that's separating us from his father so that he himself can be that bridge between where we are and where his father is. That's his whole goal. But to understand that, what we need to see is also the response of sin. The nature of sin itself, the devil's response to sin, and God's response to sin. Because adultery is a very serious sin. And in our times, it almost seems as if we give this passage kind of a a way to say that God excuses all sins and who are we to judge or throw with the first stone. Adultery destroys families. Adultery destroys marriages. Adultery destroys souls, and it's a mortal sin. It can send us to hell forever. There's nothing light about this. Murder is a grave sin. Sin is grave and can never be dismissed. And in no way was Christ dismissing it. But there's a very different way of how God responds to our sins and how the devil responds to our sin. Because the devil is the accuser. Look at the Pharisees. There was absolutely no compassion, no love. They, they caught this woman in the very act of adultery in the morning. Do you think that was by chance? No, they, there must have been some setup. They must have known it was going to happen or put her in a very place where she would get caught and then make an example of her. And that's what the devil does with us. His only goal is to break us down, to make God think that he made a mistake in creating us. It's his whole goal, to move us to despair or presumption. And despair is the sin of Judas, to lose hope, to believe that I am beyond redemption, that there is actually a sin I could commit or how many times I could fall, that at some point God says, you're done. As long as we are alive, up to the very last moment, we can always be saved. And the other sin that he tries to push us in is presumption. And presumption means to expect salvation without making use of the necessary means to obtain it. Like, oh, I can skip mass and it's God understands. You know, I can have sex outside of marriage. Everybody's doing it. Masturbation isn't a huge deal. It's all over the place. Like, no, these are all serious sins. 
And presumption means I fall into these sins and instead of going to confession to offer this to the Lord, I just say, well, God understands, it's okay. How many people out there say, I love God, but I don't go to church, I don't honor him, I don't really pray, but oh yeah, I love God. St. John says, anyone who says that they love God and yet remain in their sins is a liar. So we can't overlook that. And how about God's response to our sins? What Jesus really shows here is that he's never on the outside. Jesus is not the accuser. It's very different between someone standing outside your house, banging on the door and saying, get out here, versus a word of inspiration, going inside, finding you in that place, and leading you where you have to be. The Lord speaks to us from the inside out. He finds us in the place, the pit of despair, so that he himself can be the means by which we ascend. He does not love what is beautiful. He makes beautiful what he loves. And it's that very love that leads us into the conversion of our lives. It was his love for the adulterous woman that brought her to a place of repentance. It was his love for Jacques in that prison that brought him into a place of repentance. It was the love of that thief that was condemned with Christ on the cross that brought him in his final hour to a place of repentance. God comes to us in the very place of our sins, loves us there, and calls us to conversion. So one resolution I'd like to offer everyone, especially before we get to Easter Sunday, the place of accusation for our sins is outside the confessional. If I've talked to anybody, the hardest thing to do is just make that step from being outside to walking in because we always see it as a place where I will be accused. The place of accusation, the place of the power of the devil is outside the sacraments, outside confession. Anyone who goes to confession, you find inside those doors great mercy. Maybe some hard penances, depending on the priest you go to. But for the most part, it's always mercy. So make a great confession before Easter, especially in the places that most are you're tempted to feel shame or guilt or hide from the Lord. By doing that, you're claiming his voice over your sins. By refusing to go to confession, you are remaining enslaved to the voice of the Pharisees and the voice of the evil one that wants to keep you trapped in that place of hopelessness. St. Augustine believed that all humans were embodied in the two thieves on Calvary. He said, two thieves were crucified with Christ. Never despair. One of the thieves was saved. Never presume. One of the thieves was condemned. All a matter of how I respond when Christ appears in the place of my sins, loving me, forgiving me, and calling me to go and sin no more.